0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 19th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And tomorrow marks only two weeks until election day and we know there's going to be a lot of market gyrations and news hitting the wire. And it's going to be a wild fourth quarter, just like it's been a pretty wild year so far. And we know that you need and want strategies to help deal with this volatile market environment. how to compensate for the various risks that are out there. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and in t- today and on this program and podcast, I will do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. We're here. We're ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART, 888 4278 Whatever is on your mind, money-related, we'd love to hear from you, and I can give you some information and perspective and help you develop the right strategy and frame of mind most importantly. Now, the market today was down decent, almost 2% on the S&P. The NASDAQ was down, uh, what's that? Yeah, about the same, little little, little more. Uh, and overall, a couple factors. One is a continued gamma hedging unwind from the big banks. I talked about this before, about all these speculators buying short-term call options. And guess what? Friday was option X, which means, a lot of those speculators who were buying cheap call options for upside in a lot of the tech stocks, uh, they lost everything, <laughs> at least all their investment in their call options, which many of them did not finish in the money. But when those big banks sell those call options, they need to hedge it. They need to buy the underlying. And that would, that's what drove the market up over the past couple of weeks. And you started to see that unwind late last week. As you get closer and closer to option X, they need they can unwind. They don't need to uh, have as much hedge, being meaning owning the underlying, and therefore they sell their position. And you saw that continuing today, especially in a lot of the tech stocks. And then on top of that, you have the stimulus package, which still has not been agreed upon. Uh, there was some positive news over the weekend. Pelosi said, we're going to extend the deadline to Tuesday. Well, guess what? Tomorrow's Tuesday. <laughs> and so there's still not any closer to a deal. And I've been saying this for weeks now. I don't see a deal happening. Both sides are fairly fairly far apart. They have different goals with the stimulus package. And the ones offering more money don't want to give Trump a win going into the election uh, because they're trying to win, right? So uh, it's easy for them to make the excuse. Once again, this this isn't me saying which side is right or wrong. I'm just giving you my assessment of the situation and that's where we're at and that's why we had those two reasons I think are the are the reasons why we were down pretty significantly today and I think we will most likely have a sell off generally through or between now and the election. So that's my take on it. Now my focus point today regards the dumb young and dumb traders uh, which is kind of kind of connects connects to the gamma trade I was just speaking about. Also, how good stories often, often translate into bad investments. I'm going to talk about thematic ETFs. This is pretty popular. You know, the, the robo ETF, robo, you know, when you invest in robo stocks, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, biotech, di- different sectors, different subsectors of the, the market, uh, and a lot of these fund companies come out with these exciting stories, and history says they're actually pretty bad investments. So I'm going to break into that. Also, inflation, when might the turning point happen? And then lastly, evictions. Are evictions going to be on the rise as well? So that's what's on my mind, and that's what I want to talk about. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 8899 chart 889924278. Now, let's get right to our first caller right now. Hi, my name is
2: David. I'm from uh, New Jersey. I'm a fairly new investor. I'll in regards to an oil stock, I recently wanted to get into that sector. The ticker symbol is OKE. I noticed they recently increased their dividend. I don't know much about their uh, financials. I'm not quite sure how to really assess that. So I was just curious what you guys thought on stock. Looking forward to hearing your answer and thank you so much for all the information that you guys have been providing. I really love it. Thank you. All
1: right, looking at. Onioke, this is engaged in natural gas and natural gas liquids gathering and processing in the Rocky Mountain region, and their business has fallen really off a cliff since the beginning of COVID. Right, a lot of the shutdowns when it comes to shale production has affected their business. Supposed to earn three dollars, or they made earn three dollars and seven cents last year. Supposed to make two dollars and fifty-three cents this year, and two sixty-four next year. Analysts are not that bearish, at least. Now, the market, or the the results over the past couple quarters, revenue's down 32% last quarter, earnings down 57% last quarter, which actually isn't too bad. They still made a profit last quarter, only lost money in one quarter, which was interesting. And so the stock is down pretty dramatically, but their business, not so much. Um, Now, I don't think they've increased their dividend. I don't know where you saw that. They might have done that earlier in the year but really not so far. If you look at their debt, decent amount of debt, $14 billion in debt on its balance sheet, which is kind of a lot. Um, but overall, you know, I, kind of, I kind of like the business, to be honest with you. Uh, definitely in my top 10 of the uh, large oil and natural gas names that are out there, I still think natural gas is gonna be around and in high demand for a long, long time. It's cleaner than coal, which, you know, in the next administration might be frowned upon <laughs> even more than it already is. And frankly, you can't just go all solar or wind. It's n- not feasible. So you need natural gas. You need nuclear. Okay. So those two things are going to still be the bulk of our energy generation in this country. And so I kind of like onioke uh, you know, is the oil patch hit its rock bottom yet I'm not quite sure but I do think that longer term this is a pretty good play their balance sheet is a little stretched but I think they can handle it especially with their revenues. so I'm going to give Oniok a thumbs up now you see the news and it never ends you know this uncertainty that's in the market makes investors well anxious Now can you do a better job of managing risk by balancing and rebalancing your portfolios? Well, That job requires information and effective strategies to deal with the volatility, to take advantage of the opportunities. So that's what I'm here to help you do is to decipher what to do next with your portfolios we can talk about whatever is on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we are taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART.
3: You are listening to Talk. What a difference a year makes. A pandemic, financial shutdown, and market volatility. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART.
4: Hey, yeah, Max from Texas. He said a question, turned 59. My wife and I are having a, a will set up for our boys, and we were sitting with the attorney, and I know you don't do political uh, things on the show and stuff, understand that, but uh, the attorney was stating to us that in the Biden tax plan. There is there is something in there about the state taxes. So if something would happen to my wife and I, she stated that she read through the plan and, and said that there would be a 48% state tax on our estate if, if something did happen. That seemed really excessive to me, and I, I didn't know if you know anything about that or could uh, talk about that. Uh, long time listener, listened for years, and just like some information if you could. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: Well I haven't read Biden's tax plan specifically so uh, to be frank. Now uh, would I be shocked if there's something in there to increase the estate tax? No I would not be shocked. Uh, But that also does not mean it's going to be passed. Remember these are just plans. Going back to the Trump tax cuts. Did everything in the initial Trump tax cut come to fruition? No. Right. At the end of the day these are. This is a plan from an administration, just like the Trump plan was from the administration, and it go, still has to go through Congress. This is why we have multiple bodies. And what actually comes to pass is likely to be very different than the ultimate proposal. Now, you might keep big swaths of it. Um, but overall, it's likely to be changed. Remember, there's a lot of interests, corporate interests, special interests that get involved and they want to keep their little, uh, their little piece of the pie, right? Their little tax break in the tax code. And they want to preserve that. And so there's, there's gonna be a lot of fighting. Um, and a lot depends too on do the Republicans keep the Senate or do the Democrats keep the Senate? Do we have a blue wave? Or do we still have a divided government? That will be a big factor as well. So it's hard for me to say I would make a big decision based on what is in a Biden proposal. Because once again, it's simply a proposal. Guess what? I would wait, too. I'd wait, see what happens with the election, and make sure that you're not putting it, uh, you know, making it irrevocable. Make sure it's revocable so that you can make it, maybe make a change once the next tax plan is actually voted on and passed, and then you can make a decision on uh, how that might affect your plan overall. Now, my focus point today concerns the story, fund manager, warning, young and dumb traders have created a total nightmare in the market. So that this was interesting, we know there's a lot of inexperienced millennial, millennials who have been lured into big bets on stocks, right? The Dave Portnoy disciples of the world. And they've discovered call options, right, which are a much cheaper way to bet on stocks going up. And there have been massive bets on call options that are within two weeks. And guess what? Two weeks is extremely short term. If you understand options at all, if you're ever purchasing options, you know that you should be buying out in time, meaning four, five, six months plus in time. I know they're more expensive, but it gives you a lot more time for your thesis to play out. A lot of these new investors are buying very short-term options and it gives them a week or two for their thesis to play out. Now there's been about 500 billion dollars in bullish call, call options bought in the four weeks, in the last four weeks, by small retail traders. In comparison, 1999 there was a peak it was only 100 billion. Same with 07 it was 100 billion. So this is an environment where everyone's chasing the story, everyone's chasing the hot stock, and the quickest way to make a buck. Right? A lot of this money there being given, right, a lot of these young millennials that are trading on Robinhood, this is free money from the government. right? And they don't have a lot of sports or as many sports as they had in the past to bet on. And this is their kind of game. Uh, and we know that history tells us that is a poor time to be betting big, especially on the most popular names in the market. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and in, in, in these uncertain times, it's natural for investors to be unsure about their portfolio risk level. Different people, of course, have different levels of risk tolerance, but the question is how can you understand and deal with the risk in your portfolio? Well, my advice is to take our free risk questionnaire over at InvestTalk.com. What Steve and I can help you do is look at the results of that questionnaire and then look at your portfolio. Say, are you invested according to your risk tolerance level? That works best for you and your particular goals. Just look for the risk riskalyze button at InvestTalk.com. And now we're taking your questions live at 88899 Chart.
3: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
4: Hey,
2: Steve or Justin. This is Stephen out of Washington State. I was calling in to see what you thought about GE. I recently see there's some new activity talking about large option trades. Uber partnering up, some kind of air taxi, and Boeing 737s, and a lot of uh, good news, even though they've been so low. And I've got a few of them at a low price, so I'm trying to see if I should invest more. I think they are going to go up. Please let me know on the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, guys.
1: Looking at General Electric, now the first thing you have to know about GE is that they have received a Wells notice from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, which means that they possibly violated securities laws. So they're being investigated for violating security laws. Uh, This company for many years was mismanaged. Uh, made a lot of bad acquisitions, put on a lot of debt, especially at bad times, especially for uh, some oil and gas names. Uh, and the most profitable business is their jet engine business, and this is an environment where that's struggling as well. So, uh, you know, they, they have new management trying to clean up shop, sell off assets, but there's this is a very complex conglomerate that is extremely hard to understand, especially when you look at the history of the company over the past 20 years, and then seeing if Wells notice on top of this, saying that, can you really trust this data, right? Where in their business are they potentially violating securities laws? That's my issue here. I think a lot of people are in love with the story of GE, and I think once it's cleaned up, it might be a credible investment. But until then, I think it's going to languish until they, they spin off enough assets, they sell off enough assets, clean up their balance sheet and become a business that is easier to understand and a balance sheet that's easy to understand. So. I'm going to pass on GE. It's still something I continue to watch, and I think there will be a potential buying opportunity. But guess what? It's at 7.29 now. That could be at $3. It could be at $2. There's a lot to unpack with GE, and it's just too much of a complex bunch for me to get involved with at this time. Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at IBM International Business Machines, and they came out with earnings after hours. Is that what you're calling about? Yes, it
4: came out, and I guess the best thing you could say, it wasn't awful. Um, this okay. would be an investment I would put in my IRA, uh, and probably, you know, I'm looking at the 5% dividend and probably have it there till the day I die. Uh, I've looked mm-hmm. at it for years, and it never quite is the right time. Is now the right time?
1: Well, this is the issue with IBM. Once again, this is kind of similar to me to GE, in the sense that this is a business that is, Relied heavily on legacy mainframe business, right? Where everything has been moving to the cloud, and they've been late to the game, right? I think they bought Red Hat, was it uh, last year? They've been trying yeah. to move to the cloud, and they've they've made some inroads there, but there's so many other better cloud names and companies that are better positioned within the cloud industry. So as more and more uh, companies. Move to the cloud, and more and more cloud companies offer alternatives to IBM's legacy business. They're going to continue to bleed business, bleed revenues, bleed profits. And if you look at this latest quarter, revenues still fell 3%, earnings fell 4% year over year. So, you know, 2013, they made $16.64 a share. This year they're supposed to make ten dollars and seventy-two cents. Even next year, with a bounce back expected, they're still only supposed to make twelve dollars. So it's a shrinking business. And yes, they're paying a nice five percent dividend yield, uh, but you know that they're, they're, that's getting tougher and tougher as profits shrink. So you know, I don't love IBM. I mean, if you are looking for a coupon clipper. I think it's okay, but there's so many better options out there for businesses that are still growing. And so that's why I'm not a fan of IBM, because they're still behind. Even though they're improving in the cloud space, they're still well behind many of their competitors. So uh, don't fall in love with the name. Understand that they're behind in many aspects of the technology business, and that's why I'm a no on IBM. Thanks for the call, James. 8899 chart 889924278 Now let's drill down into thematic ETFs. Now, these are very popular and what I'm t- speaking to are these ETFs that uh, cover things like robotics and artificial intelligence or electric vehicles or genetic research, research something that's sexy and high tech a lot of fund companies come out with these type of thematic ETFs. And the idea is that they will transcend the business cycle. And there's a great investment story behind it. And the goal is to capitalize on this well-publicized macro trend. But good stories are often the best thing that these funds have. And they don't necessarily make sound investments. So after the break, I'm gonna dig into why. What does the history say about these funds and why do they do so poorly over the long term? Now on the next invest talk, the story. Behind this headline, home builder confidence reaches record high for the third consecutive month. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and I'm ready to take your questions live at 88899 chart. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
3: This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, before the break, I was speaking on thematic ETFs, and these are becoming more and more common, especially as ETFs in general become more and more common. And, the idea is to capitalize on an investment theme, an investment story around some sort of exciting technology, uh, but history tells you that these are actually very poor investments. Now, according to Morningstar, they looked back at all the ETFs and that there all the thematic ETFs that existed at the end of 2009. Guess what? Only 45 percent of them actually existed at the end of 2019 so 10 years later and only of, of those only 26% actually beat the world MSCI world index so only 11.7% of them survived and beat the overall market over that decade and there's a few reasons why this happens okay the first is that well, well there's There's one reason, and it's there's three factors that have to all play out for it to be a winning bet. First is the macro trend must come to fruition as expected, right, under the same timeline. So think of, like, artificial intelligence, for example. Will artificial intelligence take over at the expected rate that many investors expect today? Or is it going to take longer? Okay, that's one example. The number two, companies in the portfolio must benefit significantly from that trend. So, the fun, fun company that puts it out and builds the portfolio, are they doing it right? Are they having the right exposure? And the number three, are the stock prices that are, are the valuations that are in today's market in those stocks, do they fully reflect the impact of the expected growth in the future? So you may get one or maybe two of these correct, but if you don't get all three, you're unlikely to beat the overall market. Just think back to the late 90s right, with internet stocks. Well, the fundamental idea that technology and the internet was gonna transform the economy was certainly true, but the story took a lot longer to play out than many had expected. And then number two, the portfolio construction between a lot of these ETFs, these thematic ETFs, vary dramatically. Let's lo- use a few, for example. One is the iShares Robotic and Artificial Intelligence ETF, IRBO. Then there's the Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF by Global X, that's B-O-T-Z. And then there's one by Robo Global Robotics and Automation ETF, ROBO. All very similar Themes, but they're put together very differently. BOTZ, for example, has the fewest number of stocks and it's market cap weighted, whereas ROBO and IRBO have much broader weighting or broader portfolios and they're equally weighted. So every company has the same weighting. So just because they say that they're invested in the same thing doesn't mean they're actually invested in the same thing, right? And many of the companies that are in these portfolios may only have a very small percent of their business exposed to that particular theme, okay? So yes, does AT&T have some 5G, for example, or there's 5G ETFs? Yes. Is it a large percentage of their portfolio currently? No. What if they pivot towards their media acquisitions and that side of their business? And 5G is kind of, by the way, I'm just using a hypothetical. So just because it says that there's a certain theme or that invests in a certain theme, how does it execute that strategy? Okay? And then lastly, the macro trends aren't really a secret, right? Everybody knows that there's artificial technology, there's robotics, there's 5G, There's they, they understand that this is the future. The question is, is it the future like two, three, five years from now? Or is it 20, 25, 30 years from now? So it's not like you're uncovering this great secret in the market. And many times those expectations are already built into the stock price and even if they play out, there's not much upside because the valuations are already very high. And there's more downside if the trend doesn't play out as quickly as the market is expecting. So these, these are the many reasons why a lot of these thematic ETFs don't do very well for the long term, especially on top – and I think that one of the main reasons is they are launched when everyone's excited about it. And the stock prices in that sector are already very, very expensive. Now, as you know, we get caller questions from all across America, and that's a good thing. Here comes a question from New Jersey that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART.
2: Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Dave from New Jersey. I was uh, calling because so I was curious on getting into the banking sector. One bank that uh, caught my eye was MNT Bank, M-T-B. They have fairly good dividend compared to the other banks in the sector. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on what would be a good entry point to get into the stock. Looking forward to your answer. Thank you guys for all that you do. Take care. Bye.
1: Well, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know, I don't love the banking industry. right? Rates are very low. Net interest margins are very low. The volatility of the economy is is relatively high. Uh, and I'm just not a fan. Right? This is m and Bank. They have branches in New York. Pennsylvania West Virginia Virginia Maryland Delaware and New Jersey so it's in East Coast Northeast uh, type of bank yields four and a half percent but the trend continues to be lower it's near its 52 week low and you know I'm just not a fan of it you know revenues last quarter down 13% earnings down 48 percent and if you look at the loan loss reserves for a lot of these banks they continue to march higher and although governments I think are going to spend and, and and repair personal and corporate balance sheets I just don't think that the low interest rate environment is going to be great for these type of banks especially the regulatory environment on top of that as well. So I'm passing on MTB MNT Bank Corp. I'm Justin Klein you're listening to Invest Talk and you are not alone. Our Podcast download statistics show that for the month of October, we've already achieved over half a million downloads, and the month is barely half over. So, Stephen, and I thank you for downloading Invest Talk and also for telling your friends and family members about our free investing and financial podcasts. And of course, you are welcome to call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California if you need any help at all. We would love to help you. We want to help you. So, for now, our phone lines are open. Give me a call at 99 Chart. This is
3: Invest Talk. Good news, Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or InvestTalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial.
2: Hi, Steven, Justin, this is Dave from New Jersey. I was uh, calling, so I was curious on getting into the banking sector. One bank that uh, caught my eye was MNT Bank, M-T-B. They
4: have- uh, hi, Steve and Justin, this is Krish from New Jersey. I had a question about closed ended funds. What is your opinion of those funds? Uh, are they good investment vehicles? Also, in specific, uh, specifically, I wanted to know about NMZ, N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, and Z fund. Thanks so much for your response. Looking forward to hearing it in your podcast. Thanks. Bye bye.
1: Well, closed end funds in in and of themselves are not bad, right? They're just funds, just like an ETF for various types of funds, mutual funds, different types of funds. They can invest in really anything: equities, fixed income, commodities, a mix of all three, a mix of a couple. So there's different structures. So I don't want to blanket and say closed-end funds are bad or good. But you're looking at NMZ, which is the Newvin Muni High Income Opportunities Fund, and what they do is invest in junk-rated muni's, junk-rated muni's. So the biggest issue here, and you're probably after that juicy 5.5% yield, the big issue here is that they are leveraged. They have, they're, they're leveraged by about 36%, and that's how you're getting that above average yield for the muni market. Okay, So understand that, is you're getting the leverage, and then you're investing in low-rated municipal bonds. Now, if you think, which I do, that the government is going to step in and bail out municipalities, which I do. I don't think they're going to let widespread bankruptcies in the municipal space. I just think they're going to take the debt on the government balance sheets, similar to the way they did it back in 2008, 2009. They they bailed out the banks. They uh, opened up stimulus packages, they opened up the Federal Reserve balance sheet, and they took on most of that debt to keep the economy moving. Uh, and I think they're going to do that this in this instance with uh, the municipal market, and they're going to use COVID as an excuse. So the junk-rated muni part doesn't bother me The leverage does, though, because you're going to see higher than average volatility. For example, back in 2000, sorry, in March, this went from 15 to 10, which for a municipal bond fund is a huge amount of volatility, 30, 40% downside. And that's what worries me the most. So uh, I know you're after that juicy yield, but I don't like the leverage overall. But I do like the junk rated muni space because I think the government is going to bail it out. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8992-4278. We have about ten minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Let's touch on inflation. And uh, this was a great article that I saw on Reuters, and it was uh, highlighting a new book called The Demographic Reversal, Aging Societies, Waning Inequality, and Inflation Revival. And this is these are two authors, and they're they're looking at the history of uh, economies and they're really highlighting here the changing demographics of the world. not just here going forward, but looking back from about 91 to 2018, there was a doubling of the labor force in advanced economies and that really pushed down on wage prices and weakened labor's bargaining power. right So inequality got worse within those advanced economies, even though the income gap between all these countries narrowed, right, came all the same. Not the same, but closer together. And what they really argue is that you're starting to see a demographic shift. And this will lead to significant shifts of supply and demand for that labor and start to increase prices. And they're notably touching on China shrinking working age population and a rising number of elderly people within the developed world. And they believe that we're near an, an inflection point for inflation driven by that particular dynamic. And I think this is part of the reason, on top of governments going out there and giving money to people. They even talk about that. They think that monetary policymakers are now best friends of governments. And they have been, as well as for companies, households who have mortgages, right? The ability to continue to refinance at lower and lower rates, build more equity in your home. You know, that's what central banks have been pushing for for the better part of 30 years. And this is facing a backlash. And so they think that the glory years of this central bank independence is coming to an end. And I agree. Right? They're marrying central banks, these policymakers that are supposed to be independent. Well, they're no longer because they can't do anymore, right? They can't do it on their own. They can't push the economies forward. They need the help of governments to spend. And that's where we are today. So we have a demographic change, which I think is still a few years off. I don't think it's going to happen in the next couple of years. But I think within five years, you're going to start to see that, especially here in this country. Uh, I think the housing market could be strong until then. But getting past it, once we get into uh, past the baby boomers' prime home buying phase, which is really over the next five years, I think that's when you're going to start to see a more weak Housing market, as well as rising inflation, as those baby boomers almost all are going to be retired over the next five, seven years or so. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888.99 Chart.
3: It's an Invest Talk Monday. Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. How is your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing volatility? You've got questions, call Invest Talk. 888
2: 99 Chart. Hey, Steve and Justin, my name is James. I'm a 20 year old college student, and I was wondering what y'all thought about Nicola, ticker NKLA, as a potentially risky but long term play for a lot of growth. Thank you for taking my call.
1: This is Nikola, N-K-L-A. This is a product of a SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. And one of the risks of a SPAC is that there's not nearly as much due diligence as, say, an IPO. The SPAC sponsor is doing the due diligence, right? Not the investors uh, in the IPO, and oftentimes that can lead to bad investments, and this is exactly one of them. Uh, First off, they're now under investigation by the SEC. Uh, They faked their marketing video about their truck because they rolled it down a hill without an engine in it, so that's one. Number two, they farmed out their design of their truck to a third party. So they didn't even do it in-house, which isn't completely atypical, but when a company is purported to be it's that it designs and manufactures their vehicles, when they're not manufacturing their vehicles, they're farming out the GM and they're not designing it. They're farming out to, uh, to, to a third party. What it sounds like to me is this is a company that just simply, is good at marketing and good at bringing out hype. And I know you're young, you're 20 and it's, you're looking for exciting investments. This is to me, a fraudulent company in many ways. And so uh, I would absolutely pass. I this is a great short, still seven and a half, almost $8 billion valuation. I would absolutely pass on Nikola. Now let's keep things moving. Here comes another caller question that came in from New York state.
2: Hi, my name is Johnny. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and I have a question about ticker stwd Starwood Property Trust. I own it, but looking to add a little bit more for the dividend that's been steady even during the pandemic. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts on the company and the dividend angle. Thanks for all you guys do. Have a good day.
1: All right, this is Starwood Property Trust. This is a REIT that is focused on originating, financing, and managing mortgages. So this is a this is a mortgage REIT and that's my issue here. <laughs> I don't like the mortgage REITs. Overall, I know you're probably uh, attracted to the nice 12.5% juicy dividend, but they have a, a lot of debt in their balance sheet. And I'd really have to dig into the quality of their mortgages. Now, certainly there's been a lot of help from uh, forbearance programs and, and government stimulus, etc. that's going to make a lot of these mortgages probably a lot better than they would Otherwise, right, when it comes to quality, but there's we're still in the midst of uh, very high unemployment, an economy that is still recovering and still fractured and still dealing with the headwinds from COVID. And therefore, I'm not a fan of these type of REITs. Remember, REITs are passed through entities. They're not holding on to very much of their cash flow and their profits because they have to pass it along to shareholders. So while it might be an enticing 12.9% dividend yield, I'm not a fan of that. Now my bigger question overall is what percentage of their mortgages are backed by Fannie and Freddie? And it looks like they have extensive commercial segments, commercial uh, loans, infrastructure lending segment as well. So they're they're well diversified, but the problem is they're diversified in areas that are struggling mightily. And so I think that 12.5% dividend is way too risky in my book. And if you look at the chart, it's been trying to rally since this July low, and it now looks like it's about to break its September low. Technically, it looks very weak. I am completely passing on Starwood property trust and for all of these REITs. I like REITs in general, but you need to be very, very careful and understand their business model, understand both the short-term and long-term headwinds or tailwinds that might drive their business overall. So thanks for the call. I'm Justin Klein, and that completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return tomorrow. Steve Peasley is on vacation this week. Well, he will be back on Friday, so I'll be doing the show For the rest of the week, in the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived InvestTalk podcasts for free over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And of course, as always, you can catch it on InvestTalk.com as well. And you can listen live. We stream our show, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, every weekday as well. Just click on the Listen Live button for free over at InvestTalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk.